All right, this week on the Dragzine Podcast, I have an interesting character here, Mr. Scott Woodruff. Scott, what's going on? Uh, doing great. Just uh, just got in from shoveling some snow up here in northern Ohio. So uh, about the only one that was having fun was the dog frolicking around in the snow and trying to find her, her toy. But, uh, but yeah, no, all, everything's good. I feel your pain. I just got back from the U.S. Street Nationals where it was, you know, nice and comfortable. I was just wearing a light jacket and I land in Columbus. I'm like, oh, great. There's snow. I get home. Oh, yeah. and it starts snowing more. I'm like, welcome back to reality, my friend. Welcome back to reality. That's it. That's it. But the cool thing, though, is that the U.S. Street Nationals means we're getting a little bit closer to uh, to some NHR racing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, for me you know, I, I, I watch all kinds of racing and pay attention to everything. So when the Rolex 24 is going to me, it's, it's, it's right. I mean, it's, it's on, you know, it, that, that's the funny thing about like with, with racers in general is we use like certain dates and certain events as like markers. It's like, Oh, that's not why I got to start getting ready a little bit quicker. It's about, about go time. Yeah. I've actually enjoyed this, uh, you know, having as far as the NHRA, um, uh, the start of the the uh, camping world series kind of pushed back it's uh it hadn't been quite the fire drill for me everything's been laid out and and uh so so i'm uh, i'm definitely looking forward to it getting getting going and we'll start our season obviously at the door slammer nationals and uh can't wait kind of going off of that it's a great way to transition to this question you have what many would consider a dream job you know how did you end up in this position? You know, tell people what you do and what you do each day. Cause it, it, to me, it's kind of interesting. Well, um, my official, my official role is uh, director of media and motorsports for Jags. Um, you know, long story short, you know, Jag Jr. And I've been childhood friends since sixth grade. His older brothers bought us beer when we were in high school. So, uh, so there's kind of a weird working dynamic for me, but um, you know, I've worked there over 23 years and, and they've always given me the tools to, to uh, do the job at hand. And, and uh, previously I did a lot of an investment work where I, uh, you know, would manage large sums of money, 14, $15 million a year, do estate planning um, a lot of individual investing and then uh, benefit um, as far as health insurance, 401k and that kind of thing. And, and JEGS was actually one of my larger clients in central Ohio. And uh, I, I remember I was getting burned out on the whole compliance part of the business. And, and uh, at that time I was flying into the races, you know, having fun, had, you know, I was just hanging out you know, helping out where I could, helping out my buddy and, and uh, helping out his brothers. And, and um, you know, when I came to Jag and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing something different. You know, he's like, hey, well, what do you think about coming to work for us? I'm like, hmm, you know, I don't know if I can work for my best friend. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. But uh, a couple of weeks later, you know, we sat down again and uh, he, you um, he said, seriously, you know, we'd, we'd like you to come work for us. What, what do you want to make? And, I, and I'll never forget this, but I, I like wrote, wrote, he said, well, what do you want to make? And I wrote it on a piece of paper and just kind of slid it across the desk. And he's like, well, that's more than what I was thinking. And I'm like, well, that's what you're supposed to say, you know? And he's like, he goes, he, he's like, 
all right, let's, let's just do it. And I said, all I ask is that you give me a year to figure this thing out, you know, and, uh, you know, it, they've been a, they're, they're a great family. It's a great business. You know, I've, I've, uh, seen all the kids, you know, they've all, I've known them all since they were born, you know? So, you know, I've given scooter rides at the racetrack, gotten worn out by little Jaggy or Troy Jr. When they're just, you know, teeny tiny kids like uncle Woody, you got to take us on a scooter ride, you know, you know, and, and, uh, and that's, that's been pretty cool. But so, you know, the, the fun thing is, is that they all know um, that whatever, whatever we talk about doesn't go anyplace else. So at this point, you know, there's 12 grandkids and uh, at this point, six or seven of them have, you know, done the same exact thing. They walk into my office, they shut the door, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a replay every single time. I'm like, what'd you shut the door for? Well, nothing. I'm like, what's up? Well, what do you think my mom and dad would think about this? You know, and the, this ends up being, you know, whatever idea somebody has or, or whatever. And, and that's been really cool. I mean, really, really cool. Um, I probably work the closest with Troy Jr. as far as a third generation, just because he's, you know, he's really active in the racing. Um, and then also Jeg, uh, J3, we call him Jeg the third. Um, and he's, uh, you know, he, he recently, he graduated from Ohio State, big golfer, wanted to be a pro golfer, went down that uh, you know, kind of went down that path and, uh, had some amazing, and still has some amazing, uh, mentors, um, you know, Jason Day, people like that, that he gets to play golf with that have, you know, really helped him. And, um, his conversation was interesting because he's like, Hey, uh, man, I, I really think I want to come work at Jags. I'm like, really? I'm like, you're going to give up on the golfing, you know, all the time and energy that you put into this. And he's like, I think this is a, I think it's a great opportunity and I want to help, help have the place grow. So, you know, what I always tell the kids and and what I tell anybody is, you know, you got to have a game plan and, um, and map out the game plan on, you know, what you want to do, what your responsibilities will, will be and so forth. And, uh, and it's fun. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to see those guys excel, guys and gals excel at what they're doing. So, I think it's interesting because it puts a different, like the way you explain it, is it puts like a more, I guess, human uh, like side to multi generational racing because a lot of people think they just they're born, they get a helmet, they get a fire suit, they get plopped in the car, and that's it. And it, that's far from the truth when you get to really know some of these families. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. I mean, it's, um, you know, I go back to, you know, Jeg senior, who's been an amazing, one of my mentors and, um, you know, he used to tell the boys when they wanted to come work at Jeg's like, nah, you need to go work someplace else, you know? And, um, for instance, John Coughlin, who's the oldest of the four Coughlin brothers, um, he went on the road with Daryl Gwynn for a year. And worked on the worked on his top his alcohol car, top fuel car, whatever it was at the time. And uh, and I I think finally he called his dad wherever he was, like Dad, I 
man, this was, this is cool, but mm-hmm. I want to come back and I want to work at Jags, you know? So I think it's almost like Jags senior and, you know, purposely pushes away with the idea being that, you know, Hey, they're, they're going to come back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They shall return at one point after they figure out what they, what they really want to do. You know, as the director of media motorsports marketing, what are some things that you do that might surprise some people? Because that's a kind of a uh, an interesting title that I'm guessing probably you wear a whole lot of hats. I do. I do. Um, you know, if it has to do with any of our racing somewhere, you know, it, it, it goes through my hands. Um, you know, we've got a great group of people that work in the race shop. We've got an amazing group of associates that work, um, you know, next door at, at JEG's headquarters. Um, you know, we, we've got a business that's built on passion, you know. So whether somebody's in the warehouse and, and uh, they're packing boxes or they're in accounting or they're in advertising or they're in purchasing, I mean, everybody is a car enthusiast or an automobile enthusiast, you know, and that it really, you know, just the culture of it's pretty amazing, but, but my days are never the same. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, a pro board conference call or, um, you know, I'm on the NHRA contingency committee. Um, you know, I talked to Glenn Cromwell probably weekly, um, and then I oversee our bracket racing, just really everything, uh, with the idea that, you know, we try and do everything the Jags way is what I call it. You know, just, you know, I look at everything as a stage that you get to control and, you know, what, what racing teaches you is that there's really only two things that you can control in racing and it's uh, how prepared you are and your attitude and that, we, we use that same methodology throughout the business and, and everything else. So now on the race team side of things, do you help out like with, with the logistics and, you know, getting trucks and people to where they need to be? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked through that a lot. Um, you know, for instance, we're going to have a test session here in West Palm and, you know, right now we got, you know, Jag wants to take three cars. Mike's wants to take three cars. Paige wants to take hers. TJ wants to take hers. McKenna wants to take hers. <laughs> Guys, we got three rigs. <laughs> you know, let's be honest here. Not all this stuff is going to fit, but uh, but somehow we always we always find a way to make it work. And you know, the the, uh, the group in the race shop is really dedicated, and and um, you know they don't they don't really need babysat. I'm in there one or two times a week. I've got an office in the shop and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just fun. You know, I mean, I, I just, I really, the guys lean on me if they have questions, if they need something. Um, but for the most part, they, uh, they get it done. And, and I've, you know, I've driven the motorhomes and the trailers up and down the road in the late nineties. And so me personally, I won't ask anybody to do anything that I haven't done myself. And, uh, there's a lot of respect in, within our four walls at the race shop because of that. I, I was interested on the logistics side of thing because I've been involved in logistics and trying to move trailers to where they need to go, get people where they need to go. I've driven rigs myself. I know what it's like. And that's like one of the cool behind the scenes things that people don't realize you put the best 
everybody wants something to show up to the track and you're like listen we only have a 10 pound box yeah you're asking for 50 i can probably do 20 at best let's figure something out yeah and that, that that usually is where there's a lot of horse trading and bartering and be you know people don't understand like the the organization skills that are required to make that stuff happen no it's pretty amazing and and don't get me wrong i've had my calls at like 3 30 in the morning where somebody's traveling across country and you know, we got new credit cards, for example, and this, this, these latest cards, I think this is like five years ago, every once in a while requires like a, a four digit pin. And so it's like three 30 in the morning, I get this call and somebody's trying to fill up a, a rig and they're like, man, this thing's asking for a pin. I'm like, I'm like, dude, just put nine, 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 nine in there. Just see, sure enough, it works. It just needed four numbers, you know? <laughs> But I've had odd situations where, you know, Randy, uh, Randy Bishop, who drives uh, Jeg Jr.'s um, coach and trailer for all the sportsman stuff, uh, we had a, a DOT issue, you know, out, out on the West Coast swing uh, one year. Yeah, it was, it was horrid. And it was like, I want to say it was between Sonoma. It was. It was between Sonoma and Seattle. And you know, he, at this time, everything was just yellow and black, had big Jags on the side and Jags.com and an 800 number on the back door. And, you know, he's in a private coach. So he just, he just goes right by the scales. And uh, sure enough, you know, DOT it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a gray area. So the guy pulls him over and says, Hey, um, you know, how come you didn't stop back there? He says, like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a commercial vehicle. I'm a, a, a private carrier. This is a private motorhome. And he says, well, sorry to tell you, but it says Jags on there. It's got an 800 number and a website. You're commercial, you know? So, so that was, that was a, that was an odd thing to fix. And I think that happened in Oregon and he was 350 miles away from the track and they wouldn't let him move they wouldn't let the two move together. So, so we talked through, and this is, again, this is like two 30 in the morning. I said, okay, I'm like, just get it towed, get the trailer towed and hook it back up before you pull into the track and I'll organize getting a, uh, getting a vinyl company to come out and we'll just cover up the Jags and, uh, and all that stuff. And we did, and uh, that worked out, but uh, you know, like I said, you, I never know what the next day is going to bring for me, which is, which is pretty cool. I, you know, I, I look at racing, whether it's on the track or off the track, it's competitive problem solving, you know? It's what I tell people, my job can be fun and terrifying all at the same time, because you literally never know what's going to happen and you have to figure it out. Like you said, just like drag racing, sometimes you got to figure it out on the fly. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's part of the, that's part of the, that's part of the reward really to me. I mean, I, I really, you know, I'm a very organized person, um, you know, and I've, I've always take the approach to try and have everything organized that I know I can, I can control because I know no matter what event it is, there's something that's going to pop up that I don't know. So the more, the more issues that I can, I can resolve and have organized and have, uh, have in place before, 
before the unknowns come up, um, you know, the better. I always try to like, when you are trying to move any kind of race vehicle or when you're a race team and you're at the track with like a heads up car, you have to have multiple plans for plans for plans because you never know what's going to happen. And you have to be also be able to, you know, you have to have certain levels of contacts because you never know when you're going to have to call in a favor from a competitor or a sponsor. So I'll be like, Hey, uh, so this kind of happened. Can you help us out? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, this is a good example. Like we, um, I don't know what year it was, but when Jeg was running uh, for Victor Cagnazzi in the slammers uh, car, you know, they, they kind of fizzled away at the last minute between races and the next race was Bristol the following week and you know I had to I had to get a car rebranded I had to get crew shirts I had to get fire suit I had to get you know awning all this stuff and I mean I pulled some amazing favors (laughs) yeah to get this done in about six days and uh unfortunately we didn't race at Bristol because I think they had a track issue and they postponed the race, but I was bummed because I'm like, yeah, I I busted butt to get all this stuff done and it didn't happen. I didn't need to, you know, but, but at the same time, you're just like, well, at least I know I can do it if I have to. Exactly. Exactly. Now you've kind of had a a front row seat to see a lot of history made with the Coughlin family, you know, championships and all kinds of incredible things have happened. You know, what's that been like to be, be a part of it in the position you're in being so close to them and still working for them? You know, what, what's that kind of like? You know, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, there's been a lot of times and, and really this past year, um, specifically since Jeg, you know, announced his retirement and retired really from professional racing. But, um, you know, there's been a couple times that I've told him, I wish you could have seen, you know, you're in the car. You don't get to see all that. My favorite win of his was when he won the Hemi Challenge in Indy. You know, on Friday night, I, I, I want to say it was like 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there. But, you know, I'm looking around, I'm on the starting line, stands are packed, you know, all the legends of our sport that are at the event are on the starting line, sitting on the walls, you know, watching, watching these, you know, 3,800 pound cars do a big wheelie for the final. And I mean, he leaves and, you know, it's just flash, 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 flash. And, and, uh, uh, you know, ultimately he ended up winning that, but I, I told him if I could ever trade spots with you, not that I want to drive, but, um, that's the one that I would have liked to have him see, you know, see through my eyes. Cause I think he would have been just blown away. And, and, you know, all, all of the Coughlins, whether it's the four boys or the 12 grandkids or Jeg senior, everybody's amazingly down to earth and, uh, very grounded, you know, Kenny Laughlin is just, you know, he's blown away at how approachable Jeg is, you know, it's just like one of his buddies, you know, and, um, and that part's really, that part's neat. It's really neat. I think you said something there. It's very interesting that when you're in that position, it's hard to explain when you get to like witness history often, and you're like, you're not the center of it, but you're there kind of is a part of the moment. And especially when you're really tied to what's happening, it's, 
it's surreal. It really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, I mean, if it's a, one of our drivers has a great run and I, I very rarely do I go to the top end after a run. Um, but I always do if in the final, if somebody wins or they get beat or if somebody red lights, you know, and there's, there's been some, some really cool moments where, you know, we've had drivers red light and not that that's cool. Cause it's not, <laughs> no, no, it's bad, bad feeling, bad feeling. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I try and be the first one down there to just say, Hey, you know, let's go, let's go to the next one. You know, let's just, let's just erase this. It happens. And uh, there's been some really cool pictures that some of my media friends have taken of, Jag and I, Troy Jr. and I, John, Mike, Troy, you know, just with my arm around him, just saying, hey, man, we got this. Let's move on to the next one. Out of the entire Coughlin, like, pride, we'll call you, it's literally, it's like a pride of, you know, Lions. Who is the most, like, competitive one out of all of them? Brothers, grandkids, the whole thing, the one that you're just like, wow, that, they're, they're intense. They're, they're wild type. Troy Jr., hands down. Uh, Jag is, Jag is, but he's a little bit more reserved about it. Um, but you know, Troy Jr. is, you know, he's, he's the kid that grew up on the fence, watching his dad, watching his uncle's race, always wanting to do this. And, um, you know, he's probably, he's definitely his hardest critic. I mean, when he, when he raced the top fuel car, he, man, he, you know, Unfortunately, that didn't really work out the way that it that it should have, um, you know, for for a variety of reasons. But it wasn't it wasn't because of a lack of effort, and it wasn't because of him, you know. Um, but he ended up being really the scapegoat um, in that, and and um, you know, he gets occasionally, you know, he he'll see stuff on um, on social media somebody bashing him or whatever. And he really, you know, he takes it to heart. And I'm just like, dude, you got to quit looking at that. You know, you know, his wife said, that, said, said an amazing thing to him, him and I one time and said, how come, how come everything that, you know, people just, everybody loves Jack, but then they beat on you, you know? And it's like, you know, it's, it's just a different thing, you know? What I find interesting about Junior is that he has found some level of success in everything that he has jumped behind the wheel of, which when you look at all the different vehicles that he's driven from bracket sportsman all the way up to the top fueler, that is a huge, huge range of vehicles that a lot of people don't realize that there's a you have to have a certain skill set and when you talk to the racers that drive those cars there's top fuel guys that will flat tell you i will never get in a pro mod those cars are terrifying and yeah. you know it, it's interesting and now he's in pro stock and i mean it really shows that he is very very versatile what he does yeah and i mean this kid you know the pro stock thing really um you know he thought he would never get a chance to do that you know because he just he just when we got rid of our in-house program, you know, in the in the early two or mid two thousands, you know, he was always told, "Hey, it ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Just get it out of your head. You know, you're not gonna get to drive one of these. You know, 
Um, and to see him get to do that, I mean, he wears me out asking for in-car footage. He doesn't care when it comes from, whether it's the late 90s, all the way to present. He's a, he's a real, you know, he's a, he's a very much kind of an introvert in that he, he looks, he's, he's watching video. He wants to see graphs. He, he tries to rewind in his head what happened and, and so forth. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to be a champion. He's going to win a lot of races and, uh, and it's going to be exciting. It's, it's interesting. The passing of the torch to him with the elite camp, with, you know, the Jegs being hooked up with them, like elite is literally the murderer's row of like in-house pro stock cars right now. Like when you look at just the pure driver standpoint, you know, with the people they have there between Alex Laughlin you know, now TJ and Eric Enders, and they're all young and they all have won at some level. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a dream come true across the board for everybody involved. It really is. I mean, and don't forget Aaron Stanfield. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's won a little bit too. Yeah. He's done. Okay. Uh, but you know, Bruno Massel, he'd be a good guy to talk to because he was, yeah, he's been, you know, he's driven, He's very humble about it because he knows how hard that it is. But he just, you know, everybody rallies around each other to help help whoever. Um, you know, Eric has turned out to be a, a phenomenal uh, teacher uh, as far as as far as people getting their license. She she helped a lot with Marty Robertson. Uh, she helped a lot with Bruno. She helped, you know, she's she's um she's done a really good job now troy jr obviously he's got quite a bank to go back on to and talk to his dad and his uncles and in different situations um and he's asked a lot of questions i mean a lot of questions and and i think it it you know his performance and his desire and you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to see that type of uh, success and the, and the group at elite, I mean, it's, it's, as close to having our, our own in-house program as you could have. I mean, really everybody does get along very well. You know, Richard Freeman's done an amazing job getting together the talent pool that, it, that we have and there's no egos, there's no attitudes, you know, I mean, it's just, Let's work together. Let's make this happen. It's going to be fun to watch him progress in particular because he's driven so many what I would call sledgehammers with the pro mod, the fuel car, you know, the, the A fuel car. You know, he's done some precision stuff with the bracket stuff, but not to the level like people just it, it never ceases to amaze me that people don't understand how just surgical you have to be with a pro stock, because if you miss if you're not perfect throughout a run, it's going to cost you a number somewhere. And in as tight as that class is, you're going home. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, um, you know, it's interesting when I take people through the trailer that, have, you know, whether they're friends of ours or guests um, and you show them, you know, all the technology that goes into this and you show them, you know, when you show somebody a, a graph with shift points and they're all just, almost just a straight line, the top all the way across. I mean, that's, you know, you can't be, you can't be a hundred RPM off and you, 
you could be 50, but you can't be a hundred, you know, it's uh it's definitely a game of precision. This weekend at the U S street national, as I was getting ready to interview a crew chief and he was finishing up going over some data and I've seen, it's funny to watch, see different graphs of different data from different cars and like an NA car versus a pro-charged pro mod is like, you can just tell looking at the data that those are two very, very different experiences of what you have to do as a driver. Yeah, like like Troy Sr., you know, he's driven, you know, he's driven a blown pro mod car, turbo and nitrous. So when you talk to him, he can, you know, he tells you how each of them feel different. You know, whereas his favorite car is just the turbo because he says you were just pinned back in the seat the whole time. You know, and he's and he was trying to tell TJ when when TJ transitioned to press stock, like, hey, you know, it's gonna be a lot different. You're gonna be really surprised when you launch, you know, because it's gonna be hard on your body, but then down track, it's you know, it's no big deal. You know, it's it's not like you're getting hit with a bag full of doorknobs. Yeah. for an entire five seconds it's it's an initial hit but then it calms down like you said with the with the turbo pro mod you know alex laughlin said you know there's the hit at the launch you're pushed then he said about the eighth mile when those turbos are a full tilt buggy he said it's like you launch again and you just you're you're constantly you have to be on edge the whole time because you don't know when that car's going to decide it wants to make a left turn right turn or you know maybe move sideways at one time yeah, and you know Troy brought up a point uh, a couple months ago. We we had a relationship with uh, Mid Ohio Sports Car Course, where once a year we would go out there, and and uh, about twenty four of us <laughs> in their school cars with five belt harnesses and helmets and XM radio, and have a good time for the day. And uh, one of our one of our good friends, uh, Tommy Byrne, who's a former F one driver, you know he he told Troy he says, you know and Troy took this to heart and it, it helped him amazing amazingly in pro, in pro mod because he said, you know, it would be interesting. You should think about your steering wheel and gas pedal. Like there's a, like there's a line between, like there's a rope. So if you turn the wheel, you know, it should let, you should take off the gas, you know? And, and he started doing that. And I mean, he, he could get down, tracks or situations where most people would have aborted just because he's he's he took that to heart you know and he really he brought that principle from a different form of driving and adapted it to what he was doing speaking of relationships we have some great ones here on the drag zine podcast and one of them was airflow research airflow research is the original cnc ported cylinder head from street enthusiast to the hardcore racer, AFR has designed a cylinder head for your application with one goal in mind, just to go fast, which ties right into that. Like you said, that that mindset of going fast and doing whatever you kind of, you, you get that mindset, you take a, I think that's a sign of a good driver is they take good coaching and they, they absorb it and they apply it that like quickly and they learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is neat. Now, Pro Stock had an obituary written for it by a lot of people, and it started to bounce back. In my opinion, it's great racing. Some people say it's cookie cut. Like to me, it's great racing to watch because of how close it is. From your perspective, you know, 
what has helped that resurgence? Um, I would say not, the number one thing that's helped the resurgence is, you know, obviously the class, what most people don't know is behind the scenes. It was, it was, it, it was all but pretty much fading out. Um, and they were kind of, as far as the sanctioning body was kind of letting it happen. And when, um, when Richard Freeman, myself, Greg Anderson, you know, we all got on the phone and said, Hey, you know, we need to get everybody on the same page. You know, there's strength in numbers here. Let's all work together. And, uh, and we did that a couple of years ago and it, and it really has helped. Um, you know, NHRA has done a very good job of overseeing the technical aspect of it. Um, a lot of times we don't agree. I don't agree with some of the decisions they make, but I try and put, put a different hat on, you know, in, in every situation I look at, you know, I try and have a hat for the JEGS organization, a hat for the racer, a hat for the sponsor, a hat for the race team and look at all this and, you know, bringing the RPM level down, uh, you know, saved a quarter, you know, some people say it saved a quarter of a million dollars on valve springs a year going from 12, five to 10 grand on the RPM. Um, you know, we just need to have good side-by-side -side racing at the end of the day. Um, you know, and seeing people like Troy jr. Um, uh, uh, McGay, you know, uh, McGahey's son, Chris McGahey's son, I can't think of his name right now, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of younger guys that are getting into this. A lot of the Quadra family. I mean, it's, you know, I, I look at, you know, specifically pro stock is full of a lot of, you know, owner driver entrepreneurs. Okay. You know, Monday through Friday, they own big businesses. They solve problems every day you cannot turn that off on the weekend so i think that that's you know that's that's kind of why these classes appeal to you know to a lot of entrepreneurs is that you know they want to do something that challenges them on the weekend you know they can't just turn it off and go golfing and show back up monday morning um you know or fishing is probably a better example because golf is pretty competitive um but you know, it's, uh, it takes, it takes a, a neat mindset to be able to do that. For me, I, I try to explain to people, I tie to, to a comp eliminator a lot because comp eliminator is like the rocket scientists of drag racing where they take a rule book and they're like, all right, I want to fit into here. How do I do it? Oh, let's take a old pro stock motor. Let's saw it in half, put a weird crank in it. And go do it, you know. Yeah. Whereas pros, like the Aragon, like Aragonas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I'll see some of these combinations in comp, and I'll be like, "How did you? How? How did you think of this?" And it's amazing. In pro stock, in that sense, it's the same. Like you said, it's problem solving because you're limited on what you can run the cubic inch. You don't have a power adder to provide the atmosphere. It's not a nitro car where you're trying to calm it down too much. You are trying to optimize literally everything from the front splitter to where the parachute's mounted to make this car go fast. And you're tied in with a lot of smart people that that's all they want to do. They want to problem solve. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, um, you know, that we all, we all take great pride when we do well, we all take, you know, take great pride in motivation when somebody else does well, you know, there's nothing I hate more personally than seeing a KB car win period. Just, you know, I just don't, you know, probably it's, it's a little bit more of a, an embedded rivalry in, in my blood, but um, you know, we want to win on the track just as much as we want to win off the track. And, you know, the nice thing about the classes, you know, we all, there's a lot of camaraderie within the class and you've, you've heard this. I mean, you know, we only really want to kill each other for, you know, eight seconds, you know, but, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the people that really make all that happen. I, I, the, the, my, my camera guy this weekend at the U S street nationals for the on-air stuff, never been around drag racing. And he seems like, man, you know, all these people seem like friends, but then they race. I said, listen, everybody's your friend until you got three bulbs lit. And then your goal is within that next, however long that race is, you're going to do everything you can to send them home. And then afterwards you're friends again. Yeah, absolutely. I've got some, uh, Lance McGrew, over at Hendrick, you know, he's overseeing the R and D program over there. Um, and he's been a, he's been a friend for a number of years. And, you know, when he, he likes coming to the NHRA races specifically because of pro stock, but he says it reminds him a lot of the way NASCAR used to be like everybody got along everybody, you know, but, but yet they raced, you know, now, switching gears a little bit here, you know, you're part of Pro. So I want to break down to our, our viewers and listeners, you know, kind of what Pro is, how you became involved with it, and what your role is. So I guess first off, start off to set the table. What is Pro? Uh, Pro is the uh, professional racers organization. Um, it's made up of top fuel, funny car, and pro stock teams and drivers. Um, board members are elected. Um, and, um, you know, I showed an interest in wanting to be involved with that. Um, Don Schumacher and I are good friends and, and, you know, he said, Hey, I, I think you'd be good at doing this on behalf of pro stock. So right now, uh, Greg Anderson and I are the two, two, uh, pro stock reps. So, you know, we talk, we talk through rule changes. We talk through payouts. We talk through insurance. We've talked through costs. We talked through really safety, a lot of safety. Um, matter of fact, you know, we looked at a couple different tracks to do the nitro, uh, uh, test, you know, preseason tests here. And, um, you know, it, you, uh, you just really kind of safety is the number one reason why we're, why we're there. So, a lot of decisions we kind of need to step back and then really kind of make safety the priority. Um, you know, payouts are important and it's, it's really just a unified voice for the race teams and racers uh, to the sanctioning body. So that really the idea is that, not, you know, you could have individual team owners and drivers and crew chiefs all calling NHRA giving their opinion and this really gets a way to, to filter those opinions and have a solid stance and present those. So, so really, you know, I guess the cliff note summary is that pro is 
the racers ally. You guys are the advocates for the racers with the sanctioning bodies or sanctioning body to make sure that the best decisions for everybody can be made. Correct. Yep. Yep. And it's a lot like, um, Oh, it's a lot like student council in high school <laughs> on yeah. steroids, I guess, but, um, but with millions of dollars yeah, with millions of dollars, you know, and that's, you know, and that, and that's another thing, like, you know, a lot of the rule changes, you know, you know, we'll have conversations about things about nitro classes and what NHRA wants to do long-term and, you know, in a perfect world, let's change the platform to this so that, you know, alcohol dragster and top fuel, you know, with a couple minor adjustments, alcohol dragster could go run top fuel for a couple races. Well, you know, you talk to the, talk to the top fuel uh, team owner who has, you know, all of these assets and all of this, all of this engine technology lined up. He didn't want that to be, you know, obsolete, you know, because that becomes a big investment to get to move forward. So, um, you know, it's really, again, it's just everybody being on the same page. Alan Johnson's the, the uh, president. He does an amazing job. He is, um, you know, he's very dedicated to it. He's very, he's very outspoken, but he's, you know, he listens, he listens a lot and takes all that in. Something you just said really, it, it, it opened up for a question I want to ask, and I'm sure there's only so much you could potentially reveal. Was it a year or two ago that there was a talk that, oh, we might start doing some quarter mile racing for nitro cars? And I was like, you know, that, that's an interesting double-edged sword. And I talked to a team, I'm not going to say which team, and the, the driver's reaction was, I would absolutely love to do that. And then he put the biggest... However, uh, yeah, <laughs> but he said the amount of money it would cost us to do to it wouldn't be worth it because, you know, you have to like everything needs adjusted and the fans clamor for it. And the NHR was like, going, maybe we could maybe we could do this. And, you know, I, I'm sure pro had to go. Oh, hold on a second, guys. Let, let's let's talk about this a bit. Yeah. And again, you know. Logistically. And um, technology, I mean, it, you know, you look at like when they had a rev limit, you know, their rev limiter, I think it's 10,000. I don't know what theirs is, to be honest, but. Um, well, it blows up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a good point. That's true. But, you know, a thousand feet and 1,320 feet is a big difference. Um, which a lot of people do not understand. They thought yeah. oh, it's only 320 feet. It's like, it's wow. more than that. <laughs> no. And, and honestly where that changed was um, because of safety, you know, some of, you know, a track like English town, which we don't race at obviously anymore, but you know, that had a pretty short shutdown area or trails or trails, you know, and you add 320 feet to that shutoff area, you know, you can make better decisions. You know, you can slow the car down easier. Um, me personally, I think a thousand feet is great because, because the finish line's closer to the fans than the stands. And that's what we're all there for is to entertain the fans. Um, I think it's provided better side-by-side -side racing, not having that additional 320 feet because you're living on the edge, 
you know, that last 320 feet is, I haven't seen a stat, but it would be interesting to see the difference of side-by-side -side racing from a quarter mile to a thousand feet. And my, my opinion is probably there's better side-by-side -side racing to a thousand feet. Not to mention, I mean, realistically with those cars, it's just easier on parts because when you're making a full ride at a thousand or 1300, like even out a thousand feet, you still see a lot of carnage, but that extra, that's another 300 feet that you've got to keep those candles lit and keep that car happy. And just like, it, it's so hard for people to understand. I think that that's, there's so much that could go wrong so much. They're very, very volatile cars. Awesome to watch. Awesome to watch. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. Like I, I warmed up uh, Corey Max car years ago with the carrier boys who were good friends. And, and uh, you know, I will never forget hitting the throttle on that thing on the jack stands. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, all oh, this, I'm like, I've never felt this much power. And I mean, those guys even said, Hey, if you want to take, do a burnout something on Monday and just do a launch, you know, you're more than welcome to. And I, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. That'd be fun. After that, I'm like, no. After, after that throttle wrap, you're like, you know what? I'm way. I'm, I'm good dog. I'm good. Exactly. Now, something else I wanted to touch on, too, because, again, with the way that you, you're you a multi-touch point person within the sport is, you know, that the Coke situation was unprecedented in NHR and all of motorsports. And so was the way that Camping World came in, you know, literally via Twitter. You know, what do you think Camping World being involved with drag racing, you know, how's that going to further the sport now? Because there's there's a lot of demographic for them in there, and they're bringing a fresh set of eyes. You know, what's your take on this? Well, you know, the Coca-Cola thing was unfortunate, but um, what came to light, you know, a couple of weeks after is, you know, they, they did away with 200 of their brands, you know, and, and they, they really segmented their sponsorship by brand, you know, and if you notice like, you know, whether it was Powerade, whether it was Full Throttle, whether it was Mellow Yellow, you know, they were all, all three of those are really, I want to say B to C, uh, probably C level brands, you know, that it was very easy with a little bit of effort and resources to see 8%, 10% gains in shelf space and sales, you know, because, because there hadn't been anything put behind it. Um, now, again, when they, when they eliminated 200 of the brands, you know, Mellow Yellow was one, you know, there was numerous other brands, the group at Coke was awesome to deal with, you know, some of my favorite people um, in motorsports, you know, Ben Riling that oversaw all of Coke motorsports for years. I mean, he was, he's a great friend and, but transitioning to, um, you know, to, to the camping world. I mean, you see an aerial view of a racetrack. There are a awful lot of motorhomes and, you know, that's, that's a target rich environment, a very target rich environment. And it's, it's, uh, it'll be very interesting to see some of the things that they do. I think they kind of, it was amazing to see how it all came together. Um, you know, you saw where Twitter stuff was going back and forth between NHRA and, and Marcus and, and, um, but I, I, I have to believe he's a very smart individual. He's very good at, at, 
um, recognizing, um, you know, assets, you know, I don't, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, an asset that can really grow. That's a, that's a, that needs, just needs a push. And, um, and I think he found that. And I think it'll be very interesting to, to see what they do going forward this year. Um, you know, they've talked about a lot of, a lot of their vendors coming into the sport in different ways, which, which I think will be great. I mean, I, I really do. There is so much opportunity, I think, across the board for everybody here. And if you look at it from a camping world point of view and, you know, the people they're involved with, the, you know, the companies that build these rigs is now they might be able to really look at what race, you know, racing fans want and need in a rig and it helps them and it helps the fans because, you know, they're already involved in, in circle track racing and that's one aspect of it, but it's going to give them that perspective to go, hey, this is a really, really big. We, we need to go all in. Yeah. And I think, you know, their involvement in the NASCAR truck series, you know, was probably two pronged. It was a, it was a branding, it was a branding approach and it was obviously they want to hit the campgrounds. And at those three series, the most, the least expensive one is a truck and you're still going to get the campground. You know what I'm saying? So so that, that was a pretty, pretty logical move. You know, they've gone to different brands like Gander Mountain, I think is, is one. And I, I don't know what they're doing now, um, to be honest, but, um, but there, there, there's going to be, there's going to be some neat things. I was fortunate enough to, you know, be around in the Winston era when, when, I mean, I, I learned a lot about branding from those guys the, the probably the, the people I've learned the most about branding was from Winston, um, uh, Roger Penske and Jack Nicholas, you know, I mean, they all, to me, they all control a stage, you know? So Winston, whether it was given, you know, red paint to all the towers so that they use their red. And that was a goal of mine early on. I'm like, man, they got Winston red. We need to have Jags yellow. You know, so I, I finally got that done. But but the um, you know anymore that you, you just can't be stale. You got to change with the times. You need to do things differently. Social media has really changed. You know, sports in general. Um, you know, I I think I th I just say I think the camping world thing will be really really cool. I mean, I think I think we're going to see some exciting things that will happen, a lot of crossover. Um, so we'll, we'll see. You know, you said just crossover. I'm just sitting there thinking there's so much opportunity for them to take circle track guys, put them in drag race cars for part of a dog and pony show and vice versa. But like you said, there's so much cross-pollination ways to, to do that. I mean, look at like Igloo, you know, Igloo coolers or, you know, a lot of vendors that they have relationships with, very good relationships, long time relationships that that they're going to be able to say in a in a boardroom like or a, or a meeting like, hey, you know, really, we want you to go over and look at this. You know, and I think that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of brands that that our sport has always felt like should be involved in our sport. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of those brands start to uh, start to enter our sport. 
And I think that that leads into my next question here is, you know, we, we see a lot of the, I, I call them like the glory day pictures of, you know, crazy pack stands back, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, into the 80s and parts of the 90s at a certain point. And it, it was about, you know, before we had social media in this level to consume, it was because drag racing was a, it was a spectacle, you know, it was on why world of sports, it was the craziness and whatnot. And the NHRA has done a good job, I think, of kind of segmenting down how they do a show. Because if you go to a race now, you know, you know when the pros are going to run and they stick to that schedule because people are very limited with their attention spans. You know, what do you think the NHRA and drag racing needs to do to really get into that more to help keep these stands even more packed, you know, throughout the day or just in general to keep setting these, these, these record numbers we've seen, you know, in the past couple of years? Well, as, as you know, there's nothing, I don't care how great of a home theater system you have at home, but there's nothing that duplicates being at a race. Oh, um, no, no, no. You know, I, I, I look at it, I think drag racing, honestly, is the original extreme game. You know, I mean, it just, um, everybody that we've gotten to a race that normally wouldn't go, whether they're friends of ours or vendors or or acquaintances i mean they're blown away you know i've had buddies of mine that are in the band oar on the starting line and i mean they played at madden madison square garden you know packed packed house and they think that it's the coolest thing in the world you know and that's it's 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 definitely a sensory i think i think we need to promote the sensory experience of it because that's what makes it unique from being at the event or the venue as opposed to watching it on TV. Yeah. And you know, I've done pl- like the only surprising enough, the only major motorsporting event I haven't been to is a NASCAR race yet, but I've done dirt track tractor pulls, you know, all kinds of stuff. And yeah, like the sense, the sensory overloaded a dirt track race is like this like constant thing, you know, it, there's a certain level to it, but at a drag race, even if you're sitting in the highest level of the bleachers at mid track, when a nitro car goes by, it shakes your soul. Oh, it's an attention getter without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. (laughs) And it's, I, I think it's something that, you know, we need to do across the board to get those, to start really drawing people back in. And like there's certain market markets where you're going to pack the house, no matter what, you know, they're what I call like drag racing strongholds. Mm-hmm. And it's something where we need it to be like where at Gainesville, you know, what was it, two years ago where they had to done shut down. We can't let any more buddy in the property. In my opinion, every big show race should be like that. Hands down. No, that would be great. And I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I, I go back to, you know, if you and I told 10 of our friends, you know, Hey, you need to go to this. How many of them are going to go? Probably a pretty good amount, probably seven to eight of them. Same thing for the TV. I mean, that's really, that's how you get the interest. Now, now the TV show can be the bait that gets somebody, man, I'm, man, I want to see that. I got, I got to experience this. And like, if you notice when they have like celebrities at the race, um, in the past, you know, they've focused on that person um, and the experience that they're having. We need to see more of that because because that's that's what's going to get somebody off their couch to actually go to the venue to see an event. 
and, and the other thing that I will give NHRA credit for now is that they are really starting to use YouTube more, which in my opinion is, I do not know why more tracks, more promoters don't use YouTube more than what they do because it is literally, it's free. It is, yeah. it only costs, you know, we all got cell phones. Yep. Take a video, throw it up on there. There is, you know, as someone that works within the racing industry, there is, there's so much content available. You can create at a racetrack. Like I get sad because I can't do everything that I want to do. You just, you know, as a, even as a track owner, you know, if you're not running the show, go out there, your cell phone, burnout video. Like there's so many ways that you could put this out there. Like people just, they need to do it. And it's, you know, for me, it's frustrating to not to see it, you know, from, you know, just the Jags and a racing standpoint, you know, what's your take on that? No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you, you know, people consume information a lot different now than what they did 20 years ago. I mean, I, I, um, you know, some of the cutting edge things that, that we did media wise back in the late nineties, like having, you know, slides. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she gave to you know pre-written stories, and you know we took it a step further, and I think we were the first ones that had a CD-ROM media kit, and you know in all of motorsports actually, and um, you know to where now it's it's you know my daughter's my youngest daughter's thirteen, and she is all about YouTube. I mean, she watches YouTube all the time, and my. My other daughter that's that's in college, you know, if she wants to figure out how to do something, you know, she searches it out on YouTube. You YouTube know, there's Google. somebody there that's taking the time to do something, you know, and educate you um, in a non-threatening way, and and you feel you feel comfortable because you feel like it's a one-on-one -on -one connection because you're only seeing the one person and it's you, you know, it's you and that person on the screen. I built a kitchen table and benches for my wife never built anything like that before i did it all literally i learned it on youtube when i started yeah. doing like you know the on-air stuff for flow racing no formal training i just went back and watched brett kettner steve evans all the classic guys i'm like well how'd they do this you go back at you know, it's 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 like uh, tom cruise said in days of thunder about espn's coverage of sprint car or nascar racing it's amazing what you can learn that's the beauty of youtube it's amazing what you can learn it's real it's real and, and, uh, you know, think about, think about what you just said. I mean, that gave you, you know, you had the ability to, to learn something that it just in a very quick period of time that would have taken you a lot longer to do on your own. A time yeah. life book. Remember when they used to sell those time life books Yeah, right there in encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It, it, it's the train. And I think to circle back to that with YouTube is a track owner or an organization, you can use that to, you know, Hey, look, you can bring your street car out and go drag racing and just show someone rolling up to the starting line. It doesn't like a truck, a pickup truck and showing bracket racing. And, you know, people are going to go, wait, I, I can do that. Yes. You could, you know, if you want to take it and put branding on it, you have TJ driving it, you know, and it's a Jegs truck and it's like, Hey, I'm hauling them, you know, the parts here to the track and I want to go racing. Boom. There you go. Yeah. And I, you know, you, you kind of hit something on the, on the tracks there that, you know, 
a majority of our track owners are probably a little on the older side because of the investment that it takes. Uh, a majority of the tracks are, you know, a mom and pop situation where, you know, they got their hands full. They just want to, you know, the social media thing is just what they need to do is, is just get a young kid, get an intern and let them just go nuts, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, you know, we, we, our social media, you know, we had uh, when, when J3 came on board, he started off with that and, you know, I'm, I'm 50, 52, you know, I, I can't, I don't have the same mentality that somebody that's 25 has. I just don't, you know, um, they grew up around the social media stuff where, you know, I used to, I used to complain and I don't want to do this. And, you know, but once I figured out, ah, oh, it's kind of like a text message, you know, <laughs> it's not any different. Figure it out. You adapt to it. Yep. Well, Woody, our time here is coming to the end on the podcast, and I like to give everybody their opportunity to channel their energon force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where they can be found at. So uh, I'll turn the floor over to you, and you can tell everybody where they can learn about what you guys got going on, what where, where they can see it, you know. So it's, it's all you, man. Yeah, check out uh, jegs.com or teamjegs.com. Is, uh, that's actually got our all of our racing Um as far as uh, social media, everything Jegs is uh, at Jegs Performance, um, and uh, you know, give us a, give us a uh, give us a look. One click gets it quick. One call gets it all. And I can attest to that because you know I, I'm fortunate. I live here in Columbus. That the re, the 11th Avenue store is only 20 minutes up the road. But there's been times I've had to order stuff online, and yeah, literally 24 hours later it shows up. It's, it's magic. It's like, yeah. I love it. No, that's awesome. That's good to hear. And you say that with a smile. So that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're very, you know, I know there's this other company in Ohio that I won't mention their name because it, it would draw the ire of you, but you're very spoiled in the world of performance racing, especially in Ohio that you can literally build a race car between two companies that are within a few hundred miles of each other. It's, it's amazing. Now it's, you know, and, and uh, it's neat to see businesses that are built on passion, you know, and obviously um, we're thankful that we have, that we have competition. Uh, it helps us to, to drive harder for the customer every day. And that's, again, it, it, when you have a company that's run by people that are in the sport, it just, you know, they understand and they go, well, I want it this way. And they do it, you know, they understand what they want. Yep, Absolutely. Well, Scott, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you at the track real soon. Sounds good. See you soon.